welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I sit down with Laura Bruner. Sapphire training helps the on-the-go woman feel more energetic, find her inner peace, and become more powerful by creating a fitness lifestyle she loves. Laura and I um, had an awesome conversation. She has an amazing blog called MyRadicalRoots.com where she shares uh, recipes, so we get into some nutrition talk today. She is also a certified CrossFit trainer as well as a birth fit uh, director in Santa Cruz. So we chat a little bit about, um, you know, her training philosophy. We chat about squats. And if someone tells you, like if a doctor says, hey, let's not do squats, why um, maybe we should rethink that and why that could be important to continue to do squats in your daily life. We also chat about training postpartum. So as some of you who are longtime listeners know, I'm super passionate about training properly after having a baby. And we talk about the pressures that society kind of puts on women to bounce back right away. And then we talk about how to properly train um, after having a baby. So we had a really rich discussion um, about tons of different fitness stuff and stuff that I haven't chatted about in a while. So um, I hope you guys enjoy today's podcast. And she has an awesome podcast if anyone's interested um, in learning more about Laura and her mission at the Modern Mamas podcast. So without further ado, here is today's episode. Welcome to the Peaceful Power podcast. Uh, Today I have Laura Bruner. I forgot to ask you to make sure I pronounced your last name right. Is that correct? That's it. Yep. Perfect. And um, I am super excited to chat with you today because I think we have a lot of similarities in our message and um, who we work with. So I want to know a little bit more about you and your fitness background, Laura. All right. So my fitness background, if we're going way back, we don't have to go too far back, but I was, I started as an endurance athlete. So I played field hockey in high school and then found out that I actually loved the running, uh, training for games and practice whatnot in practice, potentially more than I liked the game or I, I was pretty good at it. So I kind of fell head over heels in love with running or at least the running high. I didn't usually love the actual, like being out for miles and miles, but I liked the way I felt after And, um, then I kind of dove in a little too deep into that. And so I ended up overtraining, definitely looking back now, it's crazy to think about, but I was obsessed. So like I had to get my miles in every day and then I started doing triathlons and then cross training and endurance, endurance, endurance. And then I was also a vegetarian, which for me wasn't, wasn't good for my health and wellness. And so then right about, let's see, when I graduated college, I was like pretty underweight, um, very obsessed with training. And then I found CrossFit and I was teaching high school English at the time and training with some of the other teachers in the morning at the gym, at the school with my husband would come to, we go at like 5am and these, you know, I would go at five so that I could do like an hour of cardio and then go do, um, like isolation type lifting. Um, and these teachers were like, Hey, why don't you try this? And after a week I was just in love with it. And, uh, found that I could get to the gym at six instead of five and get a better workout in in less time (laughs) and kind of just fell fell head over heels for that. And then overtrained that for a little while, took that same mentality into CrossFit. And, and so, you know, it just, it's, it's interesting how any sort of fitness can be overdone, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, if you take the, the quote unquote, like wrong mindset. So, um, it took some years for me to figure out a really happy balance and, um, going from a competitive mindset to a fitness for 
health and well-being and longevity and to be a good mom and to feel good in my skin and feel strong and to not hurt. Um, and so in that process, I found that my own, like I, I still do CrossFit, I'm very passionate about CrossFit and I found my own kind of um, the money amount, like what works best for my body. Um, and, you know, I've never been fitter than when I take five five to six classes a week and just go for the hour and uh, eat really well. And that's how I feel my best. So it's been a journey of like spending and my, my life is so much freer now because I used to train, you know, it'd be like some, some days it'd be three hours and now it's like, I've got an hour, I'm in, I'm out, I feel great and go for a walk later or whatever. So um, that's kind of my fitness journey. And I went from overtraining to finding this kind of beautiful homeostasis, happy place with my fitness. And I, I just, I love it. Yeah, that's something that I have seen. I have probably a chunk of clients that when I work with, they also are overtraining and come from that mentality that more is better and they need to do at least an hour or two a day, you know, to get results. So what are some of the tips that you have for people who might struggle with that mindset thinking that they need to get in, you know, two day workouts to get results, especially as people age. I found a lot of my clients who are aging too think that they need to up their um, workout intensity and how long they're doing it and work out, you know, every yeah. day for at least three hours. Gosh. And that can backfire actually probably 95% of the time it does, especially mm-hmm. if diet's not dialed in. Mm-hmm. I can understand how someone who's a competitive athlete, like a CrossFit athlete or, you know, a, any sport specific athlete needs to put in those hours because that is their job. But the majority of us have a full-time job, if not more than one job, potentially we have kids. I know you and I both now have little ones. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to balance training and the stressors of work and life and children and all of it, emotions and relationships. And so now we're taking, you know, exercise is a stressor on the body. It's a positive stressor when done in the right amounts. But if you are overtraining, if you're spending three hours in the gym and because of that, you're sacrificing the joy that comes from relationships and the sleep that's required to recover. Um, so you're sacrificing those things. That stressor of that exercise is then going to become a negative stressor. Um, and there's, you know, there's a fine line and you can cross that line. And so what I see is that people end up under recovering and um, then we start to see issues with like thyroid and adrenals and cortisol and, the, and cortisol is a fat storing hormone. So if you have these chronically elevated cortisol levels from constantly being under stress, your body's going to hold on to fat because it feels like it doesn't know when it's going to have a rest period. So it's going to hold on to everything you put into it. So I can't tell me, tell you how many women I've worked with, especially and men though, where I'm like, Hey, we're going to cut back on your training and you're actually going to eat a little bit more. And then they they end up shedding weight because (laughs) their body goes into this happy place where it, it finds its groove and the fitness that they're doing is actually working and the recovery which is just as important as the hours put into the gym actually allows for muscles to build. So then you can lean out. And so there's this, like, you have to find the happy balance just exercising and exercising and exercising is most of the time going to backfire, especially if you're under recovering, which anyone who has a full-time life outside of the gym is going to under recover if they're spending that much time in the gym because they don't have other hours in the day to spend recovering. Mm. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. And I've seen, um, I know that can be a hard mental shift. I think for most people is to be like, what I have to do less and I'm actually going to get results. But once they kind of see that, they're like, okay, I feel better. Like I have more energy again. Yeah. Is that something that you kind of notice as well? 
Totally. And so then they have that extra energy. So the, if they're just, if they're reducing from three hours in the gym to one hour in the gym, that one hour is going to be so, <clears throat> excuse me, so much more effective because they're coming into that hour with more energy so they can really hit it. And, and what I, you know, I used to teach on a level one, uh, CrossFit <clears throat> training staff. And so I travel around and, you know, we, we talk to people, we teach about the methodologies of CrossFit. And one of the biggest things is that intensity beats, um, longevity or, or, you know, if you spend three hours of low intensity, just kind of going through the motions versus one hour or 10 minutes, you know, of really high intensity, you really put the effort in and then you're done. And then you spend the next 30 minutes recovering. That's going to be so much more effective in terms of, I mean, a whole host of goals, whether it's like fat loss, muscle gain, um, strength, you know, all the things that you might want to take from your workout. Um, you're going to get more from putting more into a short amount of time than putting less into a longer extended period of time. So that's one thing I've learned over the years <clears throat> in my own training and then working with people is that if you can spend 15 minutes going hard um, and then and 45 minutes recovering and spending that time really taking care of yourself, whether it's like mobility, cooling down, that kind of thing you're going to see better results and it's all person dependent, right? If I'm working with someone who's got adrenal issues, um, I'm not going to have them put, you know, go super, super intense. We might do longer, slower, heavier. Um, but in the same token, now we're talking about putting a little bit more effort into heavier weights, but taking down the intensity. So in any case, it's not <clears throat> longer is not better. It's just, I, um, better is better. <laughs> and that means, and you're going to do better if it's a shorter time period that you're putting in because your mind and your body and your spirit will all be more focused on that shorter period versus just sludging through like three hours because you feel like you need to be at the gym for three hours because society in some capacity told you that's what you have to do to be successful. Yes. And what about like kind of the flip side of that? So what about people who are maybe just starting out? What is your kind of recommendation for them? You know, if they're starting out with a workout program, like, mm -hmm. do you tell people, Hey, every day or cut it down to maybe just three times a week is great. Yeah, totally dependent on the person. I say, I like to say three times a week is, is a good minimum um, in order to really start to see results because I've seen people who sign up for like a gym or whatever and they go once a week and then they're frustrated because they're not really seeing results, especially because we live in such a sedentary society. I think that's kind of where um, this desire to spend three hours in the gym is. People are trying to counteract the fact that they sit maybe all day long for work. <clears throat> and so what I like to see is three days minimum doing some sort of consistent training. Um, I, I'm biased, but I, I'd say if you can find a good CrossFit gym or a good trainer who focuses on the similar methodologies like functional fitness, so you're going full range of motion squats, you're going a lot of strength building presses and deadlifts, picking things up because that's functional. It's going to take you into other aspects of your life and you'll find that your movement throughout the day is going to become more functional. The way you get up and down out of your chair, you know, is going to end up looking more like a squat versus some like weird, I don't know, round of back situation. And so I'd say three times a week minimum. So you can really kind of hone in your, your movement patterns and then, um, you know, but no more than, than five or six times a week in intense workouts. Cause those other days should be spent recovering and spending time with your family. And that's for like an every, an, av an average, like every day, you know, healthy, well person. If you've got someone who's coming back from, you know, adrenal issues or thyroid issues or has an autoimmune disease or is pregnant or immediately postpartum, then obviously those recommendations would change. When I work with pregnant women, I typically, I like to say like Monday, Tuesday, um, 
in the gym Wednesday, some sort of like a walk to Thursday, Friday in the gym. And then the weekend is, is just enjoy, meditate, be mindful, go for walks, spend time with your family. Um, so about four days a week in the gym. And a lot of that's very intentional. You know, it's not each time they're in the gym, it's very intentional in terms of the things that they're doing and the parts of the body they're working and the strength that they're building because it's in preparation for labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of where that's, it, you know, it totally varies depending on the person, but I'd say a good place to start is if you can get in three days a week minimum, spread those out, you know, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the other days move and throughout the rest of your day move because one hour out of 24, um, isn't going to change any, it's going to change maybe a little bit, but it's not going to change everything. So thinking about like, if you're at a desk all day, get up every 30 minutes and do some air squats, um, park further away from the office, walk to tell someone something instead of sending them a text message. You know, those little things make a huge difference. Take the stairs instead of the elevator. Um, I'm always that person that people look at at, at uh, airports because I refuse to take escalators. <laughs> I always take the stairs. And so it's funny that there'll be like a line on the escalator, you know, to get up, but then the stairs are empty and I'm always, it baffles me. Um, and I think it's just ingrained. People don't even think twice. Mm -hmm. And so it's about kind of changing the script and changing the way we think about movement. And it doesn't have to be in a gym. You know, you don't even need a gym to, ever to be fit. You, you, there's other things you can do. There's objects around your house. You could squat and pick up functionally. So once you get the basis of like how to move properly and safely and functionally, then you can take that into every aspect of your life. Yes. I was just having this conversation actually this morning with a client with, um, you know, we we're just discussing how she can move more at work. And those were all suggestions, you know, that I had told her too. And I had said, to, you know, if you have phone calls, which a lot of people now are on their phones a lot. And so I'm like, Hey, get a headset and just walk around and talk to your clients. She's like, Oh, wow, that's a great idea. You know, just little things like that, that we might not have even thought hey, I can incorporate that. I can, you know, every half hour, my phone dings at me and I can do some squats, do some push-ups onto okay. my desk. You know, it's just little things. And that really will add up over the course of the day. Yeah. And then people I find will, like setting in a little reminder like that of like, hey, ding means get up and move. They'll realize they didn't even know that they were like holding all this tension in their shoulders. Mm -hmm. They were clenching their jaw. They had all this stress building up. It's just a reminder to check back in with their bodies and ensure that they're they're moving. I remember when I was teaching, I would have, I was an English teacher and I'd have so many papers to grade. So I would actually walk around, walk circles around the track, um, slow, but as I was reading and grading papers, um, because I just couldn't sit, I couldn't think well. So I know for me, like my brain works at its best right now. I'm standing as we're talking and I'm moving around and I'm like <laughs> shifting my hips because my brain works so much better if I'm moving than sitting for long periods of time. It's pretty amazing. I know. That's awesome. That's where I've thought of too with podcasts. I'm like, how could I carry around a microphone and my computer and do right. this? Cause I'm like, Oh, you know, like those little things though, they really add up. Cause I also am a mover. Like I'm just sitting here shaking my leg. Cause I just don't sit still typically. Um, and that's one of the things I love about, you know, just being in the training world. Like I don't, I don't usually have to sit still and, um, you know, rare though are these professions where we get to move all day and you know get to demonstrate and you yeah, know be active yeah and so that's where you know just having people okay how can we incorporate that into our lives and crave that movement mm -hmm. um something else that i want to discuss about that you had mentioned um, about squats. And so this is something that I also work with some senior citizens. And a few of them have told me their doctors told them not to do squats. Right. Now I'm like 
I'm a little perplexed because I'm like, you're squatting. If you sit down to go to the bathroom, you're squatting. If you're sitting on the couch, you know, like you're sitting down to a chair, you're going to be in a squat, you know, and they are kind of like, huh, that's a good point. I do do that. And they're doing it incorrectly because their doctors are telling them not to do squats during their exercise class. So how do you like, do you have any rebuttal or, you know, what do you tell people who are told they shouldn't squat? That it, that's one of my biggest pet peeves because I've also heard it for pregnant women don't squat. And that just like, it blows <laughs> my mind. Um, that's a preferred laboring position. Typically right. our ancestors did everything in a squat, cooking, gathering, fire, like all of it, you know, and, and it's one of the most functional positions to be in. If you look at a baby as they're mm -hmm. learning, as they're, you know, developing and learning first, it starts in a squat and then they stand and then they walk. But anytime they're looking and like exploring their world, they're sitting in a beautiful squat. And so to tell a senior citizen or any, any person, and especially someone who's sick or aging, or, you know, that's probably what they should be doing most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's maddening. Um, they're taking away someone who tells someone in that position not to squat is taking away um, potentially, I, I don't want to say years off their life, but definitely quality out of their life because um, that being able to squat and stand, if you can do that, um, it means that you have some like basic capacity to live functionally in, in your in your body. And so, I guess my so my thing is both for either don't squat or don't squat below parallel. Those both frustrate me because <laughs> squatting just above parallel puts a lot more pressure actually on the knee joint and it, it doesn't allow you to engage that whole posterior chain. So now you've got all this, this tension and work only on the front side of your body where once you get below parallel, then it engages everything in the back. And so by engaging that whole posterior chain, you're also then strengthening your back and you're, and you've, now you've got hips and butt and hamstrings and back all working together. Um, and so it, so if I kind of get into that and then my biggest thing, and I use this for nutrition too, I say like, if a doctor tells uh, someone that I'm working with, like you don't eat egg yolks and butter and, or red meat, you know, I'm always kind of like, okay, there's no better experiment than yourself. Mm -hmm. So let's try a week, three weeks, a month of actually switching things up. Let's reduce the amount of like, of uh, grains and processed foods that you're eating and increase the amount of maybe egg yolks and red meat and whatnot, um, fatty fish, et cetera. And let's see how you feel or let's get your, your blood numbers retested. So the same thing can go with squatting. It's like, okay, I hear the doctor. I think that's great. And obviously you always want to make sure you acknowledge that a practitioner has said something because um, it's important that we communicate with practitioners or even, you know, you could call the PT or the doctor that said don't squat. Um, but then I'm always like, okay, let's just try it today. Let's get you squatting one day, one day only. And then you come back tomorrow and you tell me how you feel. I'm very much a proponent of like N equals one experiments. So if someone's going to argue with me about a nutrition recommendation or a movement recommendation that I give them. I was like, well, let's just, how about one day? Give me one day. You try this and you tell me how you feel. And if they are pain-free and they, they actually wake up the next morning and their back doesn't hurt as badly and their, their hips are moving more freely, then I'm like, okay, let's try one more day. And the second something hurts or feels bad, then we'll take a step back. But um, I think one day at a time is big. Changing their mindset, not by like trying to argue a point, because sometimes if people have a, something said in their mind, they're not really willing to listen. So it's like, let's just do this. Give me one squat. Let's see how you feel. Okay, one more. See how you feel. And there's good ways to go in between too, like for instance, box squats, right? 
it's hard for someone to argue that they can't sit to a box and stand up when they do, like you said, sit in a chair or sit on a toilet. That's just a, you know, so we let's sit to a box and then stand. And mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you how to sit to that box and stand properly so that you feel good when you do it. Mm. Yes, I definitely agree with that. And that's for, um, I always, so I practice some Ayurveda as well. And so I'm, I have to be careful with my, don't ream out what your advice is given to you. Cause my first instinct is to be like, no, that's completely wrong. But, um, one of the gals who had this issue, um, she was running and she still does runs three miles a day. And then I asked her, I'm like, are you still running? And she's like, yes. I'm like, did you tell your doctor this? Yes. Did he tell you not to run? No, just not to squat. And I'm like, well, that just seems perplexing to me that he goes to that versus the running. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, and she's in her late seventies. So I'm like, that is an interesting take on what to do and what not to do. And, um, you know, I don't know if that just comes down to education just on both ends, you know, how we communicate with, you know, the practitioner and, you know, relay the information because sometimes, you know, they, they are seen as more of the expert and, you know, they have their degree and, you know, a lot more education in that regard, but not necessarily in nutrition and movement. And so that's kind of the tricky part that I always come across is, you know, how do you present that in a way that, you know, they will take your word like, okay, this person does know what they're talking about, especially when you're working with seniors, because it's a little bit more, you know, authority respecting than per se millennials are now. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a, like you're saying generationally and, and just in general, people just, they, they, if someone has like MD behind their name, then they're trusted in every aspect of life. Like, mm-hmm. like for some reason, because they have the education as a doctor, they're all knowing. And the reality is, is that I've got friends who are doctors and they'll openly admit like the education they get in nutrition is minimal. Mm-hmm. And the education they get in like fitness is maybe non-existent. And so mm-hmm. that's where it's like, we, I think as a society, we have to um, ensure that we're getting information from the proper people and that we're asking a lot and that we don't just rely I guess, ignorantly Mm -hmm. on what someone says, but we actually tune into our own body. So I think that's where people, there's a big disconnect. Um, Mm. My mom right now is struggling with like pretty severe IBS and she, I'm like, Hey, this is what I do. Like, I would love to be able to help you. She's like, okay, but I'm going to go, I'm going to see my doctor first. I'm like, that's great. I'm glad you're seeing your doctor, but a diagnosis of IBS is BS. That's like, that's like if I went into the doctor and I was like, Hey, my knee's really hurting. And the doctor's like, all right, so you have a hurt knee. You know what I mean? Like IBS <laughs> is a symptom. Yep. And so it's just frustrating to me that, you know, we like, that's, I think there's a shift. I think a lot of people are moving to more holistic medicine because people are getting fed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't just want to be given, um, pharmaceuticals. People want to get mm-hmm. to the root of the problem mm-hmm. and healthcare and well care. Those all, the verbiage is all wrong, <laughs> you know, like healthcare is actually sick care yes. um, at this point. And so I think it's a matter of just like trusting, finding practitioners that you trust and not going to one person for every problem because no one's perfect and no one knows everything. Mm-hmm. And then also trusting our bodies more. I think there's a big disconnect with trusting our own bodies and what we're capable of, first of all, what our intuition will tell us and following our gut um, because people just want to put all their trust. People want a quick fix too. Um, like, yeah, I'm going to go see my MD because I know that he's got that, that pad. He or she is the pad. He can write up a, you know, give me a pill that will probably fix things. So I think that 
I think what of a lot of it comes down to is coming back to trusting ourselves and our own intuition and our own bodies and what they're telling us. And that will help to guide us in terms of the decisions we make in care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, nutrition. I mean, it's such a key component of our health that I think sometimes, you know, often gets overlooked. And um, I know that's something that you're definitely passionate about. And, you know, what do you tell people when they're trying to you know, put together meals for themselves and their family. And they're telling you, I don't have time to, you know, cook a meal, prepare a meal. You know, how do you tell people that, you know, this is important and we should be, you know, taking care of ourselves and we should make time for this? Yeah. I just, to me, I I feel as though it's a lack of knowledge or just a feeling of kind of like being overwhelmed. Um, Mm -hmm. But honestly, to cook a meal of like some root vegetables roasted in the oven and um, a quick salad and a piece of meat doesn't take that much longer than throwing a frozen meal in the oven. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you cut up the veggies, drizzle them with oil and stick them in the oven with some salt. And then you throw a piece of meat on the grill and you throw together some vegetables. And a lot of salads come like pre-made and then you just drizzle them with some healthy uh, dressing. <clears throat> and so I think people get overwhelmed because I think part of it has to do with um, the influx of like social media images where mm. you have all these gorgeous meals, photos of all these like, you know, quote unquote food porn or whatever on social <laughs> media and Instagram. And people think that their dinner has to look like that <laughs> mm-hmm. or they're wasting their time. And the reality is it doesn't have to be pretty. Um, and it can still taste really good and it can really nourish you. And mm-hmm. so starting simply, like my big thing with nutrition is you look at your plate, there should be some sort of nice, like dense, energy dense carbohydrate, especially if you're training, but it doesn't have to be, people think carbs and they think pasta and bread when it could just be like some sweet potato or white potato, or I have this recipe on my blog right now that people are kind of going crazy for. It's uh, crispy potato bits where you just take some potato, dice them up and there's boil them and then roast them in ghee or butter or um, olive oil. And they're amazing. And so it's like something like that versus it's pretty simple in terms of the steps and versus like a bowl of pasta, you're getting a real food, energy dense carbohydrate that's going to fuel you and also serve you in a better way than, than, you know, inflammatory grains and pastas and whatnot. And so that's simple. So get like an energy dense carbohydrate, um, some sort of vegetable, like green, colorful, whatever it is, vegetable, and then a, a good quality protein source with some fat thrown in. So it could be roasted potatoes, a piece of meat that you grilled, a piece of salmon that you broiled, whatever, um, some leafy greens, and then some avocado, let's say. So if every time you eat a meal, you've got your, your carbohydrate, your vegetables, um, your meat and your fat, you're set. It doesn't have to be, you know, fancy. You could just throw all those things in one bowl, have a big salad with some potatoes thrown in or whatever, some fruit and you're set. And so I think keeping things simple is key. And just, even if it's just like, Hey, twice a week, you need to cook at home and then you add it. So, okay, now four days a week, you need to cook at home. Okay. Every dinner is a meal cooked at home. Then people can kind of shift their mindset and slowly realize that they are super capable. And then another big thing is make triple or at least double what you're going to eat that night so that you have lunch for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a big one too, is batch cooking. I think really helps people a lot. Oh yeah. I love it. I, so the, in Ayurveda, they, they say not to do leftovers because the food loses the energy. But for me, I'm like, okay, that's not really practical. You know, nowadays I prefer to make a little extra so I can reheat it. Like I don't have a microwave, so I just reheat it in the stove or on the oven. And, um, 
have it for lunch the next day. Otherwise I would be cooking, you know, all day <laughs> long, you know? So I'm like, I have to have a little leftovers, especially with a little one. Cause it's not like he, this is not a fun time for him. Cause he's a year and a half and running around like while I'm prepping food, this is, he wants it now. So, and then especially as we get into fall and winter, like making a big batch of chili or stew, something that's so easy. It's all in one pot. And then you just reheat it on the stove top or microwave or whatever. And, and you you can have a meal for a dinner for a week. Mm Summertime is a little, for me personally, I, I prefer like salads and stuff in the summer when it's warmer. Um, but even that's pretty easy. Just throw, I have a big salad bowl that I, I'll just eat, make a salad and eat the whole thing out right out of that bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's funny because I've eaten a lot of salads while nursing my daughter and <laughs> dropped so much food on her. <laughs> I think it's pretty awesome. But yeah, if you can batch cook, especially like meats, like we'll, we'll throw a, a bunch of chicken breasts into our, um, into our Vita clay. We've got this Vita clay pot and let it, let it cook down and shred it. And then we've got chicken for the week that we can throw on salads or whatever the case may be. So, you know, nice and simple, exactly. Keeping things simple. It does not have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be Instagram worthy. It just has to fuel you and nourish you. Um, and so that's a big one. And what about nourishment for if people are trying to conceive during pregnancy and then postpartum, how do those times differ or do they? They, they do in some aspects in that, um, cravings, you know, people are like, oh, pregnancy cravings, I eat donuts and whatever. But I think cravings do matter when you're pregnant because, and postpartum, because on, on, in actuality, cravings are our bodies telling us what we need. Mm-hmm. And if, I think sometimes, um, we take those cravings as like, uh, because maybe we've, we've lost touch with what our body's telling us through signaling because of all the, the prevalence of processed foods, we lose, we lose touch with, with actually what our bodies are telling us. But I've been working on this for a long time because I didn't have a period for five, almost six years. And so I had to do a lot of work to get that back. And so I did that through nutrition and mindset. And, um, and so I really, really learned to listen to what my body is telling me that it needed. There was times when I would like buy some grass fed liver from the farmer's market I would throw it on the stovetop and I would just eat it out of the pan. (laughs) It was like something was telling me that's what I needed. And when I was pregnant, second trimester, I just, all I wanted was salmon and I ate so much wild salmon. And, you know, it's interesting because that's the one, a lot of brain development's happening and Mm. the DHA and EPA is great for baby's brain as it develops. And then third trimester, like all I wanted was beef. And I, I think I probably had a little bit of iron deficiency. And so I ate a ton of grass fed beef and had no issues with iron or anemia. And so I think when we're pregnant and postpartum, both because pregnancy, you're growing a human and then postpartum, you know, I've got, it really takes over 200 days to truly recover and heal from uh, labor and delivery, depending on how that goes. And so, yeah, that whole period should be spent, like what you eat should be so, you should be so conscious about what you're eating because it's going into not just repairing you from one of the most, I mean, incredible, but also traumatic events that your body will ever go through. Um, but also if you're nursing, you know, then that, the nutrients you're eating are going to your baby as well. So, and what breaks my heart is that women in the postpartum period, because of society's expectations are like, sometimes immediately, like I need to get my body back. So I'm going to start restricting, or I'm going to start eating low fat, you know, that kind of thing or super low carbohydrate. And, um, it just, it's, that's, tough because fats are going to be so essential for getting nutrient dense breast milk and for re- repairing and rebuilding the cells on it. You know, you need saturated fats and cholesterol to repair and rebuild cells. 
And that's what needs to be happening postpartum. And you need saturated fats and cholesterols to, um, to build a healthy baby, <laughs> you know? And so um, society tells us we have to be so careful and we've got to lose the baby weight and we've got to look a certain way or whatever it is immediately after giving birth when it should be a nice, long, slow process where you're in tune with your body, you're feeding it what it needs, um, you're being taken care of. But, you know, with the, the, the pace of society now where women are forced to go back to work, if not right away, at like, you know, just six weeks out. And um, it's just, it's tough for me to see because my, I'm so fortunate. I work for CrossFit remotely um, as well as my own business. And they, they give 16 weeks uh, full paid maternity leave. So wow, that's nice. That's, and that's so rare, you know? And so I wish there was more of a shift for companies to start giving more maternity leave and for women to be supported in the fact that they don't have to look a certain way. They just need to feel a certain way. Like, how do you feel? How does your body feel? How's your baby doing? Versus like, do you have your, your belly tight again and all, and all that. So, um, I kind of went off on a tangent, but I think during those periods more than any other, it's so important to listen in. And um, I think it's still important to balance macronutrients. So at every meal, there should be some sort of carbohydrate, fat, and protein, but the ratios are going to differ depending on cravings that, you know, there might be a week where you just need more glucose, you're craving more carbohydrates. So get those in, in nutrient dense forms, fruits and starchy vegetables and whatnot. And then there might be phases where all you want is fat. So get a bunch of like, get coconut in and butter and ghee and fatty meats and um, listen to that because it's your body telling you something and our bodies are so wise. It's really important that we listen to them. (laughs) Mm. Yes. I know. Um, like for me during pregnancy, I craved more dairy, which I don't typically do a ton of dairy. So that was one thing I was like, Oh, I bet I need, you know, I'm low in calcium right now. So that's probably percent of my calories were from cheese when I was pregnant and I don't usually eat that much, but I, I, so I was going to farmer's market and buying raw sheep and goat milk cheese and cheddar and whatnot. And I ate, I had so many aversions, but I could eat so much cheese and that's what my body needed. Yes. (laughs) I love I know, it. I had asked my doctor, I was like, does this mean I'm probably low in calcium? And she was like, most likely, cause you know, you don't do it a ton and you're growing a human. So yeah. you need some, I'm like, and a lot of women point. have aversions to meat when they're pregnant. Um, and I did in the first trimester and you know, with dairy, you can get good quality protein and fats. Mm-hmm. And so in the calcium. So I think that's, I hear that a lot of women craving dairy when they're, uh, when they're pregnant, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah, no, that really is. Cause my, I had a client who just would drink milk all the time when she was pregnant. She's like, I don't know why I just need a glass of milk all the time. So funny. And I love that she listened, you know what I mean? Yes. Cause society again, tells us like yes. a lot of people, especially in the paleo world, they're like, dairy's bad. No food is like, and that's another issue I have is that when food becomes, has become, becomes moral, mm-hmm. like food is bad. And therefore if you eat that food, you're bad. And so mm-hmm. people stop being again in tune with their bodies because, um, they're told though dairy's bad, but not all dairy is bad. Super processed crappy dairy is bad, but, but again, not bad, just not serving you (laughs) quite Mm -hmm. as well. And, um, and so forgetting what anyone else says and listening to your body is super important. Mm. So how have like you changed and you have, or have you changed your personal approach to fitness? Like after you became a mom, like what about nutrition? Like how has that all kind of balanced out for you? Yeah. So I go through phases in terms of, um, since, so so when I got pregnant, I was actually uh, counting macros. I was on a macro plan that I had worked, but knowing that I was trying to conceive. So I wanted to, um, 
you know, feel good and ensure I was eating enough. Um, and also just be kind of, my husband and I had this, this thought where we wanted to be at our fittest and healthiest when we conceived because of, you know, epigenetics, we wanted to be at our best when we made our daughter. And so, and not that you need to be counting macros to be at your best, but that's just what I felt like I wanted to do. And so, um, I went from counting macros and feeling really good and feeling probably fitter than I ever had got pregnant. And once I got pregnant, I knew, um, intuitively that I should not be counting anything. So that's when I, so as soon as I got pregnant, um, first off, I was very sick in the beginning. So it was just a matter of eating whatever I could eat to get, um, energy in and to fuel the growth of the baby. But then <laughs> once I started feeling better, it was just very much about listening to what my, excuse me, what my body was craving. And so, um, it, I've been flow between heavier carb weeks and months and then heavier fat weeks and months. Um, sometimes both, sometimes I'd be starving, sometimes I'd eat less, just trying to kind of listen into, um, to what my body was telling me. And so, um, and now that I'm postpartum, um, I am very much, I, fortunately, I'm not having any issues with milk production. In fact, I've probably have to, uh, a little bit of an oversupply. And so <laughs> I did as well. <laughs> yeah, man, it's something else. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I know every, every situation is different. I can't imagine having not producing enough, but sometimes oversupply can be a pain. I'm finally yeah. kind of regulating 11, 12 weeks out, but, um, so now I'm just eating based again, based on what I'm craving, trying to get, make sure I'm getting enough, um, enough protein, carbs and fat in, and I'm, I'm so hungry. So I can't imagine restricting in any capacity or like trying to like get my body back or dieting or whatever. Um, I'm eating what my body wants. And it's funny because she nurses, um, she kind of cluster feeds in the evening. And so, um, and so I'm so hungry. Like we'll, we'll do kind of an early dinner because we're trying to get on a good routine bather and then she'll sit down and she will nurse for like three hours straight almost. And before she goes down. And so by eight, eight o'clock, I'm just like ravenous again. And yeah. so doing, like, you know, healthy, like real food cookies and stuff. And so at the end of the night, like once I get her down, it's like, ah, oh, I sit down and have this like, quote, you know, paleo paleo friendly will say cookie and my husband will watch like a show and then it's 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 just so funny because I you know I have no remorse there's like I'm having dessert some sort of dessert ish thing every single night right now because that's that's my body's craving and I'm choosing a healthier version and that's and it's totally working and um and just listening in and so I might not eat as much in the morning so I'm not as hungry but then by the afternoon I'm ravenous because she's been nursing a ton so <laughs> being in tune with that, not following any sort of macro plan or whatever. I'm just listening to what my body needs. And then maybe, you know, maybe three months from now, I'll start, I'll consider tracking some stuff again, just to see where I'm at. And I think anytime, if anyone ever does any sort of macro counting or zone or anything, it's important to not do that consistently. It's important to, um, ensure that there is an ebb and flow. And that if you're tracking things that you take breaks and you tune back in, because if anyone's on a, a nutrition plan or a macro plan for an extended period of time, it's so, it's so easy to lose track of your body's, um, your body telling you what it needs and, and being in tune with hunger signals and full signals. And you just start eating because this plan says I have this many more grams to eat, but I'm not actually hungry or I'm starving, but I'm, I've eaten everything I'm supposed to eat for today. So I'm just going to be hungry. And it just, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I definitely think I always tell people too, it's a nice way to start just so you can get kind of get an idea where you're at. And then after a few weeks, maybe you take it away and you know, you just kind of listen to what's going on with your body and see, have you learned or maybe you still need to learn a little bit more. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's any sort of nutrition plan should be a learning experience, not a, mm-hmm. not a restrictive experience or something yes. that makes you feel like you failed in some way. If that's the case, then it's time to reconsider if that's the right plan for you. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, what about fitness now post-birth? Like what have you been doing? Cause I know um, you just kind of got back into workouts. Like what are those kind of looking like? And um, I know that you, you know, work with birth fit, can you tell us a little bit about kind of that whole setup? And if anyone's kind of like, I'm interested in knowing how to work out properly after having a baby. Yeah. So I'm the regional director for Santa Cruz, the birth fit regional director. And so um, <clears throat> I have a, a pretty extensive history in training people and in training myself. Um, I've been coaching and doing CrossFit since 2000, I think 11. And um and so it's my biggest point is that it's all relative. So I had someone reach out to me on Instagram because I recently posted a video of me doing like uh, hang power cleans at 85 pounds. And she's like, I see that you're already lifting really heavy, you know? And so it's one of those things where it's like every woman is so different. And for me, 85 pounds compared to what I was lifting before I got pregnant, it's, it's a relatively lower percentage, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, and I also had a very, um, a very good labor and delivery experience in my body. Um, recovered relatively quickly from that. So it's very much, I was very much in tune. So I started moving again um, in, in like a f- fitness capacity about two weeks out, mm-hmm. but not li- moving any weight, totally listening to my body, doing a lot of breath work, doing a lot of functional progression work. Um, and my friend, Dr. Erica Bullen created this, um, this movement series and they're the birth fit functional progressions. And so it's really an amazing thing. And that's what I recommend all Honestly, if I could recommend that every human does them, I think that's best, but especially pregnant and postpartum women, because it's just a series of very, very functional movements that progress one to the next. And if you look at how a baby progresses from not being able to roll over to rolling over, to pushing themselves up to the side, to getting into a squat, to standing, it basically follows the same progressions that we as humans develop as we learn to move in our bodies. Um, That's cool. And so it's really awesome. And so I did that all throughout pregnancy and I think it totally um, impacted the way my pelvic floor has recovered. Mm -hmm. It's impacted the, um, any sort of ab separation, the diastasis. Um, And so, um, uh, you know, within the first, even in the first week I was doing the breath work. So kind of this diaphragmatic breath where you're letting the diaphragm and the pelvic floor work together. And then about two weeks out, I started doing the functional progressions and some lunges and just feeling out the squat and then kind of just went from there. Um, loosely following the birth fit, the birth fit postpartum programming you can get online. It's really incredible. Um, so if a woman doesn't have a regional director or a birth fit coach nearby, that's a great resource where there's videos and it takes you, you know, three workouts a week all the way through the 14 weeks postpartum. And, um, you know, imagine that you start at about six weeks, it takes you 20 weeks postpartum. It's really cool. And so mm-hmm. that's great. But I think the biggest thing is listening to your body and not again, getting caught up in what someone else is doing on social media. Um, you know, I've seen some pretty famous CrossFit famous or fitness world famous women who come back and they like immediately have a six pack again and they're getting back into workouts really, really fast. And I think while that's 
cool because it's working for that person. It's also dangerous in that someone else might see that and think, oh, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And then mm -hmm. potentially they could create you know, some really serious issues like, like prolapse or some really bad diastasis and pelvic floor issues. And those can then lead to some pretty severe core dysfunction, which can lead to back pain and hip pain and knee pain down the road. And ultimately when you have a baby, you want to feel empowered and capable so you can be the best mom possible. And if you're super concerned with getting your body back or with hitting old numbers, if your body's not ready, then you are going to end up getting hurt. And then you know, have issues long-term that could affect your mental well-being and your physical well-being. And so taking it one day at a time, the breath work is great because it allows you to kind of tune in with how you're feeling that day. You, you know, you sit or lay down for five minutes and you just breathe. And that will tell you without a shadow of a doubt, if things are funky, if your back is hurting, it allows you to just totally tune in. So I like starting every day with that and then going from there based on how I feel. Um, making sure I take days where I just walk, where I rest, tuning in with my body, um, getting regular chiropractic care has been really, really important for me. Um, and so I'm fortunate where we, my husband and I both coach at CrossFit Santa Cruz, which is a four minute walk from our house. Oh, that's so, awesome. um, you know, if she goes down for a nap, he'll stay home with her and I'll you know, jog over to the gym and do some stuff and then come home or he'll come with me and my husband will wear her while I work out. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been really great. And then some days I just, we, we live in a condo on the second story, but I'll just take, we have like kettlebells and I'll just do something on the balcony. Um, but moving every day has been incredible for my postpartum experience, both mentally and physically. Um, it doesn't have to be an intense workout. It could be, you know, lunging down the hallway or squatting um, with my baby. I'll hold her and squat to the, do box squats on the couch, um, going for walks, wearing her. I'm a big proponent of baby wearing, especially immediately postpartum, because if you can go for a 20 minute walk wearing your baby and not have any like extra bleeding or any pain or discomfort, then you know, okay, maybe I'm ready to do a little bit more. I think that's a good test and it allows for bonding. And you're also working on like keeping good posture while you're wearing your baby is going to help build core stability and all that. So I think there's, depending on the women, um, there's a whole host of things that you can do just to get functional movement back into your day postpartum. But those first two weeks, I think they should be like the baby moon where you are just snuggling your baby. You're not worried about movement. You're not, you have people cooking for you. Um, those first two weeks, you should not be thinking about anything, but just bonding with your baby and recovering and, you know, being in tune with your mental and emotional and physical state. Mm. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. Cause I had, I actually had probably at four weeks, I tried to squat. Oh my gosh. I <laughs> somehow got myself a glute tear that <gasps> went undiagnosed like during birth. And because um, the person who stitched me up was not the regular physician. Um, she was just an intern and um, I, they clearly missed it. And so my doctor around the six, seven week postpartum mark, like I, when I would have to go to the bathroom, like number two, I would have to lay on the floor for like five to 10 minutes. I'd be like crying after every oh. bowel movement because it hurt so bad. And so I had to go to my regular doctor like three, four times. And she was like, I'm going to have to refer you. I have no idea. Like I can't physically see anything, but obviously like You're hurting. Yes. And I'm like, cause I had an unmedicated birth too. So she's like, I know that, you know, she's like, you are a very high pain tolerance. And for you to come in like, this must be painful. And I was like, yeah, I know. I, I don't know what's going on. And so 
I just was like, okay, so she, she doesn't know. I'm going to try to in tune with what I think is going on. So I just nixed all lower body workout. Cause at that point I had passed like the, Hey, you can go work out. And so I was just doing body weight squats, nothing intense. And I'm like, I'm just going to have to take that away. Like no cardio whatsoever, like besides just the necessary walking. And then maybe a little bit of light upper body work. And that was like all I did. And I just did that for probably two months and it went away on its own. So no idea like what was going on, but I'm like, okay, what should I do? And my body kind of figured it out after I kind of, I mean, I wasn't even doing anything intense because I knew I know how to properly train. And I, I've been doing that for years with women. So I'm like, this can just out of the blue, like this, I'm yeah. very now much more sensitive to postpartum training just because of that. I'm like, who would have thought just body weight squats, you know, at four weeks was too early for me, which I didn't know at the time. Right. You know? and, and, and that's, it's just tuning in. And I think we have like a set idea of like what, whatever we were doing before we were pregnant, yes. we should be able to just go back to it or during pregnancy even. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, I always try to slow all of my new yeah. moms down. I'm like, no, I'm like, you really like, if you don't feel like squatting at four weeks, like don't like do nothing until the six week mark. And even then, like, uh, that's also my pet peeve when they say, Hey, go work out. A lot of times women will go work out like they used to. Mm-hmm. And then that's when they get hurt. And I had to work with um, a gal who, whose son was four and she still had, um, she had like a six finger gap um, going on in her abdominals and she's an opera singer. And she had said she went to a boot camp, you know, after her son was six weeks and um, the trainer never checked her, never even thought to ask. And she just, it got worse and worse through the years. And so we were trying to reverse what we could, um, you know, four years later. And we actually did reverse a little bit of it, but it's just crazy that, you know, like those little things that we don't think in the moment, because you're just thinking, I want that body back can really, that's going to affect us for years later. Especially when, you know, people, women focus on the middle. And so they're mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to go do a bunch of sit-ups yes. and work. And, and that is the worst thing you can do, especially if you have a, a separation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, and everyone is so different in terms of like, whether they can come back and start doing stuff at two weeks or six weeks, or maybe they need a month and a half, or maybe they need three months. Mm-hmm. The interim is just tuning in. And that's why I love the birth fit functional progressions and the breath work, because it gives women who need it longer before they can actually get back into the gym. It still gives something that they can do on a daily basis to feel like they've put some effort into fitness because fitness doesn't have to be lifting weights or being intense. It's just like improving, you know, working on your core is it could be as simple as breath work. Mm-hmm. So it gives tools that they can feel like they're doing something productive towards getting back to whatever fitness level they hope to be at um, without actually potentially doing any damage. And so I have been a huge proponent. Those things are the, those, the movements are simple and they're scalable and they're, they're really awesome. So I think that's such a good place to start. And then that gives you, if you rebuild the core first, before you start returning to other things, that's how it, that's how it should be. You start yeah. in the middle, you know, where the, it's like the, our core strength should all come from there. And then we can start getting out to the extremities and building arm strength and and glute strength and, you know, all of that. So mm-hmm. core first and then everything else. And, and doing sit-ups is not building your core. That's working just on those, the front. And that's where you're going to actually run into issues. If you're just focusing on sit-ups, that's where you're going to get more separation. The yes. core is everything. It's like from up at our neck, all the way down to our pelvis and the front and the back and the side. So in the inner, the inner muscles and the, and the ones you can see, it's all of it. Not just that six pack that so many people, you know, sometimes women who have a six pack 
yeah, they actually have some core dysfunction going on. It's a matter of building and strengthening the whole thing in order to avoid injury and to be truly functional in our bodies and to feel our best. So, oh yeah, I mean, and even like I was probably a year post birth, I think I was no more than that. I was probably this was just a few months ago. I did some decline. I was like, oh, let me try these, you know, crunches on a decline bench, and I was like, hmm, I'm feeling like my abdominal was kind of doming, which I'm like, and I had no diastasis recti or any issues there. So I was like, this is a no-go. But, you know, I think a lot of times we don't, like I knew enough to not do that. And this would have been past a year post-birth. Like sometimes we still have to hold ourselves back if we're like, this isn't right. Like this doesn't feel right. Something's going on rather than try to push through and say, oh, I should do this exercise. Um, You know, being in tune with that, no matter how far postpartum you are. Yeah, hundred percent. Because because the reality is that after you have a baby, you're forever postpartum. Yes. <laughs> so there could be like lingering things, nagging things that show up, you know, a yes. year plus later. Um, because now you have a year of getting back into fitness, where something that maybe wasn't addressed early on is going to show up after you put in that that time and that that um, repetition on your body, and so we're forever postpartum. And so my big thing is like when women say, I want to get my body back and like, you can get into whatever fits, you could be fitter and leaner than you were before you got pregnant, but you're never going to have your old body back because your body's so much better now because it's done something so miraculous. No matter how that kid came out, no matter, you know, whether it was vaginal birth, unmedicated with an epidural C-section, whatever, however, however the baby came into this world, you grew a human you birthed that human. And so in whatever state your body is in, it's still magical because it's done something so incredible. And so that's my big thing. It's like, you're never going to have your body back. Even if you get fitter or quote, like in your eyes, hotter or whatever the case, (laughs) your body is better than it's ever been because it's done something so amazing and you're never going to have your old body back. And I don't want my old body back. I, I've never felt, you know, I'm 11 weeks postpartum. I've never felt more confident in my skin because it's like, having a baby is so empowering mm-hmm. and then nursing that baby and keeping that baby alive and knowing that that little human is looking at you to care for them and love on them and, and inspire them and be an example for them. So if we can kind of shift the focus in fitness postpartum to, I want to be fit and strong and functional and powerful versus I want to look a certain way. That's not only better for our own mindset and our own psyche, but also for the small person that's growing up watching everything we do and listening to everything we say. So if we can shift the script and shift the mindset from looking a certain way or focusing on aesthetics to feeling a certain way in our bodies and feeling strong and powerful, I think that's not just better for us, but it's better for our little ones too. Yes, mm, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, if people are looking to find BirthFit, is it just birthfit.com where they can get yeah, more information? So the HQ website is is birthfit.com. I'm at birthfitsantacruz.com. And then uh, I post a lot of like workouts and, and insights and whatnot at um, my Instagram, just birthfitsantacruz. But the birthfit Instagram and birthfit website have tons of videos, a really great YouTube channel with, you know, lots you can learn just from watching those. There's regional directors everywhere. If you go to birthfit.com, there's, you can click links and see where there might be a coach or regional director near you. Um, and then there's online, there's prenatal and postpartum online programming to follow, which both are great. Um, training during pregnancy is so important. 
because it's like labor and delivery is one of the most athletic, important athletic events of your life. Mm -hmm. It's important to be ready for it and to train intentionally during pregnancy, um, not to keep weight off or to look a certain way again, but to your training with the intention of making it through and succeeding in whatever capacity in this really incredible event, no matter how the baby comes in the world again, it's like you have to be um, ready mentally and physically because it's hard. And then you want to be in a good physical state for postpartum recovery, if you can create like a hedge, you know, then when you take those weeks off and, and whatnot, your body's in a better place to repair and recover. So prenatal postpartum fitness is huge. Movement is so huge during both of those phases and um, nourishing your body, both with food and then also with movement, I think are really incredible things to consider. Mm, Yes. Yes, uh, I totally agree. And, um, you know, I thank you for sharing all that knowledge because I, something I'm also super passionate about is, you know, just for people to have the education and the resources. Yeah. And I think that's a bit feeling empowered by, with education, especially when it comes to birth and labor and delivery. I think one of the biggest things a woman can do is just empower herself with knowledge. So understanding that she's got options and choices. And again, like referring back to the whole doctor thing, understanding that, yes, you want to trust your provider, your OB or your midwife or whoever, but also trust yourself because um, you are the one caring and delivering and then caring for this baby. And your body is so capable. Your mind is capable. Um, And I think a lot of that's been taken away from women today Mm -hmm. in terms of the way birth is done in this country, especially it's like women are kind of told that they don't have the knowledge to be able to do this when none of us would be here if they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. I know. And I found a lot of it too. I had amazing nurses that helped, you know, me stay on my birth. I don't really necessarily have a birth plan. I just went in and was like, I'm going to try to do it without an epidural. That was my plan. And she was like, okay. And so she's like, are you serious about this? I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay. I'll be your nurse then. I'm like, okay. And that was how we rolled. And so I think, you know, sometimes having a limited plan too is empowering. Cause I was like, I don't really have a set. Here's how it's going to happen. I just, I'm going to try to do this and we'll roll from there. And that's, you know, sometimes the best thing too, is to kind of go in and be open to twists and turns. Cause that's typically what happens during labor. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I'm a big, I, I had a doula who was amazing. It sounds like this nurse was pretty much a doula oh for you, but my husband actually was like, they asked him, they're like, can we hire you as a doula afterwards? <laughs> so they're like, you are better than most of the doulas here. So he turned out to be the best coach I had. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. I told, I have a podcast, the modern mama's podcast. And I told my, I went through my birth story, start to finish, like within the first couple of weeks of postpartum and so it's really awesome to listen back to that, but I labored mostly at home. So the doula came to our house. And so my whole thing was seven hours and five of them, I was at home and got to the hospital oh at nine centimeters. Gosh. And for me, that's what I needed. I needed to be at home and just like comfortable with my, my husband and my dogs and the doula. And it was middle of the night. And just like, that's if for me, that's how I felt the most empowered to be at home. And then I got there and they're like, what? You're nine centimeters. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> wow. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was definitely a little longer than that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, and then, you know, I was like four hours in and it was so intense. And I was yeah. like, I don't know. I was in transition and I didn't know it. And so I was like, it's because most first time mamas, it's like 12 plus hours. So I looked at my doula oh, yeah. and I was like, 
is this how it's going to be for another eight or more, you know, 12 hours. And, and you just, you don't know the first time, but now I look back, I'm like, okay, <laughs> that makes more sense. That, cause it, oh man, it's something uh, else. Labor, it's amazing. And yes. it's empowering and it's incredible and it's magical. Um, women are really cool. <laughs> I know. I know that our bodies can do that and yeah. recover and, oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so kind of wrapping up cause we're around the hour mark. Um, where can people find you? Where are you located at? The, um, I, my, the base of everything you can find at, um, my And then on Instagram, I pretty much post everything there. Um, it's just laura.radicalroots on Instagram and that can take you to my birth fit stuff and my training and my nutrition and all of it. Um, that's kind of like the hub and also the podcast. You can, you can find the podcast there. Um, the modern mama's podcast. Yeah. Modern mama's podcast. The goal is just to be a judgment free resource for parents, not just moms, but you know, we're going to have our husbands on soon, but okay. yeah, just, and you know, we talk about everything from all the way from like trying to conceive, um, preconception and then pregnancy, labor and delivery, postpartum and motherhood and parenting and all of it. So it's, it's been such a fun, I started right before my daughter was born. So it's kind of like grown with me as a parent. And so it's been really cool. My co-host has two kids and, um, Jess from hold, hold the space wellness. And so it's been really fun, um, to just share that and, and build community and, um, now I'm excited to be a part of your community with this podcast. I think this is really awesome. So thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you so much. Um, my final question, I like to give a little weekly challenge to the listeners. So when I have guests on, I have you guys kind of throw out a weekly challenge. So um, what would you like that to be this week? I would say that I challenge every person listening, whether you're a mom or a dad or have no kids or whatever, is to take one, to do one thing a day that's self-care that's like loving on yourself. So whether that's even just like, if you're a mom and you have a hard time getting a shower in, in the day, you know, <laughs> take 10 minutes, whether you get your spouse or your partner or a friend, or you, even if you, you know, whatever you do to entertain your kid for that 10 minutes, take, take a shower if that's what you want to do or um, read a book or listen to a podcast or just like go sit and quiet and meditate, whatever, whatever that means to you. I'd say if, if every person could do one thing a day, that's a little bit of self-love, I think the world would be a better place because we'd all be a little bit happier. So um, whatever that self-love is, take at least, you know, 10 minutes a day and, and do one thing for yourself every single day. That's my challenge to, to everyone listening. Yes. I love that. And I, someone had asked in one of the Facebook groups about self-care ideas and I had wrote one of mine. I'm like, ah, uh, going to the bathroom by myself would actually be amazing. <laughs> And I'm like, but for real, like once you're mom, you're like, oh, okay. There is like no more privacy. Like yeah. my son comes in, the dog comes in, the cat wants water. I'm like, gosh. Right. It's so funny. Oh, it's a little right. thing. It's, it's all perspective, right? Like before you have a kid, then your self-care is going to be something maybe a little bit more extravagant. Yep. yep. You have a little one. It's like, but then you don't care. That's the funny no. thing, right? So like all you want to do is go to the bathroom alone, but then you look at your kid and you're like, it's all worth it. So yep. It's pretty awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on. It's such a fun me. little conversation, Laura. Yeah, I loved it. Thanks so much. It's great to get to meet you. Yes, you as well. So I want everyone to go out there and spread your peaceful power. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclawson.com, where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. 
And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the peaceful power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.